And here we are, episode 5, series 7, Gordon and Das. How are we doing? Welcome to Whiskey Unscripted. I'm sounding different. Where are we? Well, I'm not. Well, we've just had a great tour. We've been at Clydeside with uh, Alistair MacDonald here, and we've had a great tour of this wonderful distillery. If you've not been here, come here on the Clydeside, reflecting the history of the area. Alistair, thanks for a great tour, and uh, I know you've got, you know, some interesting whiskies and things coming out shortly, but you're six years into this project. Uh, we've tasted some of your whiskies, so they're not the oldest, but by God, they taste fantastic. Yes, we feel as though what we're doing here is slightly different from some distilleries, but the focus is, as you say, on the quality. And yeah, young, we can't do anything about the age, but we're getting there. And Stubcross has been evolving through the last five years, and it will, you know, it will eventually cap the age on it, but it's doing wonderful at the moment. We're getting really good feedback on it. We're about to release our first limited edition, the Cast Strength Bourbon, uh, this week. And... I'll give you the chance to try that and see what you think uh, shortly and obviously the whole journey that we are on here is about the long term. It's not about just a quick fix, it's about the long journey and creating quality products for our and your consumers to, to come and try and tell us what you think about it. It's been absolutely delicious but before I go on and we get this episode off and running, you guys know each other. Is we that true? Where do you know each other from? And don't say the local prison. <laughs> No, we do. We used to work with each other when we were working. I was working at Morrison, but Morris, you'd been with the business quite a long time before that. Yeah. Um, and um, you were the Ockentoshan distillery manager. Yeah, that's right. Um, as Gordon says, I was uh, started my life in Beaumont Distillery, of all places, as a distillery engineer, and then moved to Glasgow and uh, became distillery manager eventually at Ockentoshan, uh, where I met Gordon doing his, his brand work and, and selling the good quality products. So again, yeah, just moved along the road a bit here to Clydeside, but hopefully producing a quality whiskey that maybe one day will compete with the, the, the brand of Morrison Beaumont. And just for people that are listening out with Scotland, could you just tell us where we are geographically and what's outside, because it's a beautiful tasting room we've just been, to, um, <clears throat> we're just going to, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so we're here in, in, as you say, in Glasgow, right in the city, so we're one of the first distilleries right in the city, in the heart of the city, producing here at the, the former Queen's Dock, which was a, a dock that was where the SEC and the Hydro is now. It's all been filled in. But this was a, a working dock uh, from 1877 through to the, the late 1960s. And ships were exporting whiskey all over the world from this wow. dock where we are standing at the moment. So a really nice link to bring whiskey distilling into this area again and, you know, something for the city to shout about. So you want a perfect day out in Glasgow, Clydeside Distillery in the morning. Glengoyne Distillery in the afternoon. What a perfect day that is. It's been a perfect day today, I have to say. Thank you so much. Yeah, and that sounds good to me, and I'll be along to see you at Glengoyne too. Yeah, thank and you. Coming up in this episode, what way to start, Gordon? Coming up, we've got our very own Mike interviewing Greg Schwartz from the movie Water of Life. Oh, right, I thought not from the Pepper Empire. No. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's right behind us. Say hello, guys. Yay! It's been a great day. Cut to two guys back in the studio. Goodbye. Goodbye. This, I don't know about you, Gordon, but those those two guys are very, very educated. Quite intelligent. They sound very one, very nice. I think you really need that to convey the knowledge to the, you know, to to the listeners and uh, no, really, really knowledgeable people. And <laughs> Alistair was fabulous as well. No, it was great. I was, I was talking 
sending ourselves back to the studio. So here we are back in the studio. What a great day that was, wasn't it? Absolutely. And that was us in the filling store Mm. uh, at uh, Clydeside Distillery Garden. So Mm. really, what I liked about it, a bit of history Mm. about Glasgow. Oh, it was interesting. Very interesting. And, I mean, we had a great day. And, um, you know, Alistair and, and... Brig Dean at, at Clydeside were both fabulous and very welcoming. And if you've never been, I mean, like, I would say if you're visiting Glasgow, as we said at the end, you know, Quengoyne's fabulous, absolutely. You want an industrial Glasgow look at feel? Clydeside, brilliant. Really, really good. You know, you talk about the boom that's going on at the moment in Scottish whiskey and all these distilleries opening up. And you, know, we did say before, kind of fear for some distilleries, but I, I think they've got a really solid footing there oh very look it's it's that they know the industry as a business the morrisons you know morrison Bermore. uh they know that they know the industry they know the uh the market they're they're, they're very clever people there they've got good people in place they're, they're absolutely fabulous so that was a great, great and i quite liked about this part that was almost like a pre-credit sequence that yes. was almost us doing a james bond style pre-credit to the actual podcast mm. so welcome yeah. officially again yeah, absolutely. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. G- Gordon, the last time we spoke, mm-hmm. you were off to China. I was off to China. Yes, that's right. Oh, what happens? Could you tell? Well, me? it was it was a in- really interesting trip. I mean, you know, whiskey in China is hugely popular. And, uh, you know, Tamdu was out there with a Tamdu hat on doing really, really well. But the market is definitely a little bit not as it was. I think we're seeing that across the world at the moment. Um, a softening of uh, you know, we just need to see what's going on in the world and people are hanging on to their money and, you know, we're all doing it. So um, the, the the whiskey industry in China is has always been on this sort of trajectory, which could be massive and never quite achieved that. But it's always slight, you know, but now it seems a little flat at the moment. But things will change and we'll get back into it. But it's just the nature of the economies going around, on around the world. Well, I've got a little question there. Um, mm-hmm. You've touched on it last week, but could you say... Um, or is it difficult now as we go into the 21st century do different markets like different whiskies? Could you say, you know, certainly from my historical perspective, in the old days, the Americans liked it lighter, a mm-hmm. softer style of Scotch whiskey. Can you say that about markets, China? And I think it's Israel? I think it's getting less relevant now, but I mean, you know, certainly 15 odd years ago, I don't think you were selling a lot of peated whiskey in, 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 in that part of the world. It doesn't necessarily suit their palate. But then again, you now see the rise of the peated whiskey uh, because of the popularity in Isla. Uh, sherry casks. I mean, you think of you think of Asia, you think of sherry casks, you think of, you know, Glengoyne's 21s, 25s, Tamdu's, uh, and all the other great sherry cask whiskies out there. So, but, but then again, you know, also now bourbon casks are popular. Bourbon cask matured whiskey is really, really good too. Yes. So I think it's getting less, less sort of, you know, whiskey's such a wide option for, and not just talking about Scotch, all whiskies. I think the rise of distilleries out there as well in 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 Asia has has made people more try more things, and we've seen it all over. So yeah, I, th- I think it's probably less relevant. But I think if you said there's one thing, they love sherry casks. Okay, yeah, and yeah. I take it they'd love Tamdu. And um, Gordon, that brings me on to what are we drinking? And I can go oh. first. I was. I don't know what I was reading this week. I was just reading a bit of research and I came, you know, just talking about Scottish oak 
and why we talk mm. about, we just mm. mentioned Tamdu, the sherry casks, it's American oak or, or European oak, Albert or Quercus Rober. And I have, you know, in my hand some Glengoyne that was matured in Scottish oak that we acquired mm, some Scottish this. oak. Was uh, it not have... finished in that or was it fully matured? I thought it was fully matured, but certainly this is batch A. Um, mm, okay. The first batch was fully matured. I can stand corrected for aficionados of the every release that we've got. 15-year-old, it may just be finished, but Scottish Oak Garden, I've had that question a, a few times with all the forests and all the wildernesses in Scotland. Why don't we use more Scottish Oak and whiskey? Well, there's not that much of it, and we can't keep cutting it down. But I think one thing somebody once said to me is that Scottish Oak's point, it, it can produce quite a spicy style. Mm. Um, I'm not sure on that. I've never really drunk a Scottish Oak whiskey. Oh, keep some for you. Yep, oh, there's a bit of spice there. Mm. Right at yep. the back of the palate there, gripping onto the tongue. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never tasted, I've actually never tasted that whiskey. So, um, oh, I'm keep not... some for you. But of course, Please in Scotland, uh, again, a question I get asked by a lot of people coming is, why are you clearing the land of all the trees? And at the moment, it's a sort of deforest, reforestation going on, trying to take the invasive species that arrived 50, mm -hmm. 60 years ago, the big fir trees from Scandinavia, mm. trying to get them off the land and place replace them with traditional Scottish indigenous trees. Oak, like, like oak, oak. Yeah. yeah. So maybe... No, for sure. Up the 100 years, we can make Well, something. I mean, it's, it's trying to get away from the faster growing oak that, or tr trees that you harvest and use for wood and things. And getting some of those traditional, as you say, uh, deciduous trees back into the landscape. Because the old Scottish forests that you used to hear about were all massive oak trees and, you know, those types of trees. So it's really important. Really, just, really important. Maybe not the heat in Scotland. It's maybe too moist as well, which seems to, as, as uh, Alice yeah. was saying on their tour of Clyde sites, this moisture in Scotland is playing a bit of havoc with the barley in 2023. It is. It's not looking good for barley this year in terms of its uh, in terms of its sort of yield it's going to de deliver and things like that. Just going back to Scottish Oak also, I do remember uh, that I think um, White Mackay have done something with Scottish Oak recently. Yeah. Um, I was, remember reading about that. Greg Glass was... It has was. been doing some interesting stuff on Scottish oak. Um, so maybe we'll see some more Glen Goyne on Scottish oak in Scottish oak in the future. But I'm sure Greg Glass has been doing something uh, at White and Mackay. Well, that brings us, I suppose, indeed. What are you drinking? And is there any news um, as well at the beginning of the show? Just to have a little look as we're recording at the end of August 2023, beginning of September 2023. Has there been any? Well... I am drinking. I'm. I'm. I literally picked up the nearest thing to me, which is a teapot drum. Uh, I am drinking uh, teapot drum mm -hmm. number six, uh, which is what I've got here. I just thought I'd pick it up, literally off the shelf, because you've. Uh, I've not prepared particularly well for this. Uh, it's unscripted uh, podcast, but it is unscripted. We'll have to mention there's other whiskeys out there, but, um, yep. but there are many other whiskeys out there. But no, it's um. It's um yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely whiskey. And uh, you know, okay. big, powerful, first fill European oak, bish batch bosh, lovely, lovely, lovely. So enjoying that European oak, Spanish oak, not Scottish. Whiskey news, and just what you mentioned mm. um, in this last week, uh, Billy Walker. Billy Walker's mm. papers saying that uh growth over twenty million uh, this year, and the man who celebrates fifty years in the industry last year. 
puts it down to the bullish markets in the Far East. South Korea, mm -hmm, no, China, sure. you mentioned Taiwan, Singapore, and also mm -hmm. looking to Vietnam and strong sales in Sydney. So mm -hmm. it might be flattening off this year, but certainly last year, where these mm -hmm. figures come from, um, Lenarchy and a lot of others doing very well. Yes, no, absolutely. And Tamdu's been doing really well too because of Asia as well as other markets. But I think we're just seeing that slight, you know, is just... You know, a little bit, It's we'll see. But I think it's maybe just not, you know, it's maybe 5% less of what it was. But uh, the other thing that caught my eye this week is there's this brilliant Distillers 1 of 1 auction, um, which is um, this fabulous sort of, uh, you know, create something unique for people to, uh, to you know, invest in. And, and there's some, this 1 of 1 auction is, uh, it's all about the, the sort of, to support the distillers charity. Um, and um, so what the youth action fund as well. So it's a really, really good thing. We've donated some rose banks, but I was really interested by one or two of the whiskies that have been donated by um, Brewers donated a, a beautiful sort of unique decanter, unique display. And also um, uh, Bo Moore have donated something as well. So it's just really good to see for, for charity, these one-off whiskies being produced genuinely one-off whiskies, which are going to garner a huge interest and, of course, deliver a huge amount of money for charity, which is great. Well, that's nice. Check that out. And that's yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's going to be held by, um, I think you just type distillers one of one auction, you'll find all the information you need to. But if anybody has a few hundred thousand pounds in their pocket, I'm sure there's a whiskey there for you. Oh, yeah. The other piece of news, speaking of hundreds of thousands of pounds, just as we mentioned last week, our last episode of Gordon McPhail mm. stopping doing their independent bottling, their only bottle mm. for mm. spirit mm. that mm. they make, they are releasing the Recollection series as well. So what a, 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 a warehouse they've got. Uh, for example, it's a 1981 Port Ellen. £10,000 if you can get it. Glenmore from 73. Banff as well from 76. Extraordinary. So as you were saying, Gordon McPhail selling off some other age stocks and magnificent. Yeah. And well, I mean, it gets, it does get to a point is why are you keeping aged whiskey? Let's be very honest. You know, people go, you know, it's all about when you realize the potential of your stocks of whiskey. And Gordon McPhail has some of the oldest, but as we know, older doesn't always mean better. And secondly, you know, alcohol strength drops. So it could drop below being a whiskey. It gets to the point, and I think they've got some ridiculously old whiskies. It gets to the point, we can't just keep holding them on. We can't just keep hanging on to these. We've got to do something with them. And I think that's ultimately a lot to do with the decision, is that they're going to, in my view, probably sell some of these whiskies, realize some of that, in, you know, some of that potential, producing brilliant whiskies, and then use it to build up their distilleries and maybe acquire a third distillery. I'm sure that's the grand plan, which is great. On that point, Gordon, you mentioned about if it falls below a certain strength. Yes. It's not whiskey. So holding on to old whiskey, it's not just a a simple equation of I hold on to it longer and then I'll sell it. It's going to be lots of money. That That's a real big issue. No, I mean, imagine if, imagine if Gordon, you were, were, you got a, say you got a cask on your birthday your actual birthday. So that was, what, 35 years ago? Correct, yes. Just keep it that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
maybe a bit older than that, but um, say say it's whatever age, um, and and you you've been keep, you knew you had it, and you've been keeping it. And you go, I'm just going to keep it. I'm just going to keep it. I'm just going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. And you go and you maybe you visit the distillery, and it's forty years old, and you have a taste of it. Oh, that's lovely. Um, it's thirty nine point nine percent alcohol. It's not now a whiskey. So this is the kind of thing it gets to the point. If you've got good whiskey, it's old. You actually have to, there's no point in hanging on to it necessarily. It might not, it probably won't get better. Some of them probably won't get better and the strength will drop, continue to drop. So um, there's lots of things to consider about old whiskey. And I'm sure Gordon and McPhail, I don't know their stock profile, but I'm sure they've got some really old whiskeys where they've just said, we actually need to realize, do we actually need to start releasing these? Another bit of news I picked up was just the Isle of Harris seemed to be going Mm. From strength, they're going to double the size of the mm-hmm. of the mm. enterprise up there. Um, they they're launching their single malt very soon, I think. I think it's, yes, end of this month, well, September twenty third. It says the I don't know how you mm-hmm. pronounce it. The Hira will be on sale end of September. The official mm. launch day. Look, the good people involved up there. They've produced a great, you know. I think they're very well known for their gin and particularly the bottle, and and we'll see how the whiskey is. But good people involved up there, so that's good to hear. And. Uh, excited by that and and the other thing that i i was actually on tyree at the weekend and i went to tyree uh, distillery uh (laughs) which is a gin distillery predominantly but i think they're looking at doing whiskey so that was really interesting had a wee gin and tonic very nice um and isle of Col, which is just north of of tyree has a distillery as well so all these little micro distilleries everywhere really really interesting so um it it was an interesting weekend the other thing that i was um I noticed is that um, there's quite a lot of new releases out there at the moment. We've come to that sort of end of the summer, uh, sort of, and and that's when you're sort of just finalising things. A lot of releases happen in September, October, not so many in November and December because that's such a busy time. So people always should be aware releases generally are happening. And if you want to hear about new whiskies, always Oh, September is generally when you'll hear more. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I, uh, our friends at McAllen have launched a new travel retail series as well called the Colours Collection, I believe. Saw it in Heathrow last night as I was nice. delayed on my way home from London. Very nice. I mean, I, I don't know much about the whiskies, but um, completely redesigned McAllen packaging. So uh, have a look at it. I think one of the things about um, releases, new releases, these types of things, is, you know, there's so many of them now. But there's some really good ones. Let's really dig through them and find out the good ones. So we're going to bring you, yes. our listeners, our opinions of some of the best releases coming out, not just from Glengoyne, Tamdu and Rosebank and Smokehead, but other people too. We'll do that next episode. I was just about to ask that question, but we'll part that for the next episode of Whiskey Inscripted. Price points, what to look out for? Should you go for age, not age? Um, one more. Oh, one more. Hello, What's man. your favourite number? Favourite number? I'll go eight. Really? Is it? Really? Yes. Well, bag strength number eight has just come out from Tamdu, and Ooh. there is one of those wonderful whiskies. So, yeah, if you like the Tamdu bag strength series, number eight is out. So you can find that in your specialist retail store, probably online or from Tamdu.com. Thank you. Sales pitch over. No sales more. Over. But yeah, I love to get into all that new release. Let's do that the next time. I'm going to a whiskey shop tomorrow. I'll be all over that. I'll bring my recording device. Another small piece of news which really transitioned me to the a little feature is I was doing a bit of research mm-hmm. for Rosebank Distillery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking over it, 
and worked out that, yes, a gentleman called James Rankin does indeed start up Rosebank Distillery in 1840 in the lowlands of Scotland and mm -hmm. a town called Falkirk, it is called Camelin. What I didn't really realise, Gordon, mm. was almost a, a stone's throw away was another distillery, actual called Camelin Distillery, face mm. to face, looking at each other. And I know that because in 1864, James Rankin of Rosebank buys it. They go bust. He buys Camelin and turns it into the maltings. Now, I was thinking, that's quite interesting. Up until 1864, whenever it went bust, they must have been looking at each other through the windows, opening the curtains and like, uh, maybe they're best of friends. I don't know. But it got me thinking of other distilleries side by side with different owners in Scotland. With different owners? Yes, because oh. automatically, I know what you're going to say, Glenfiddich. Well, same North, owners. Well, Dalveni. Uh, or Caninvy. Caninvy, yeah, yeah. So they're, but they're all the same owners. I'll leave that out. Depends what you mean side by side. Well, sort of neighbours. Sort of so like Isla's an obvious one. There's a whole load of stories that are owned by different people that are side by side. Some of them. There's three on the south of the island, isn't there? Are they in visual distance of each other? Not really. No, they're about a mile apart. So maybe not. That's a bit further apart. That's fair. I'm sure that, as you say, if you look in history, there must have been so many. Well, you've just mentioned it already with the release of Cask uh, Batch Gen 8. Tamdu is literally about seven iron from Nakando. It is a seven iron from Nakando. That's exactly right. They are genuinely pretty much side by side. Yes, that's that's a quite good one. That's look, very interesting. Well, there's also a village. Uh, if you're driving between Craigellachie and Elgin, would that be where um, Chegwin was from? This is a very obscure reference. <laughs> no, you're Keith. Keith. No, Keith. I thought. I thought you might know of Rothis, Chegwin. <laughs> um, Rothis you're talking about. Rothis, yeah. I, I, I don't often research. There's a lot of distilleries in Rothis. Four. And very, is there only four? Well, Glen Grant, if you're driving yes. through Rothis, you, 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 you pass Glen Rothis as well. I think Glen Rothis is in the right. Glen Grant was in the left. With I'm just... So everybody, everybody knows Glenrothes Distillery is not in the place called Glenrothes. Glenrothes. <laughs> That's right. So Glen Grant, very close. I mean, there must be, if it's not a seven iron, it's maybe a five iron. But Glen Grant, owned by the Campari Group, Glenrothes, obviously, by Edrington. And mm -hmm. further up, I think, as you're heading out, you've got Spayburn and Glen Spay in Rothes. I didn't know yeah. much about Glen Spay, so I had to look it up. It was Diageo owns Glen Spay. And Spayburn, of course, owned by mm -hmm. Glenn Linnett. And I've got a Spayburn. Mm -hmm. Spayburn on age statement. Yes. So I, I, and then I thought, is that the closest in Rothes in Scotland? And I thought... Is it? I don't know. I want people listening to this podcast to get oh. onto the maps of Scotland. I looked at Karen as well. Mm -hmm. Not the lady that works in the office, but the actual C-A-R-R-O-N. The home, and, of, um, home of what was Imperial, now Dalmanach. And there's one quite close there, but I don't know if it's as close as... Uh, Dal, Dal Ewan? Yes. It's a little... It's about three miles away. Yeah, so it's, it's, that's maybe a, a drive and a... There, then you've obviously got... You've got this... this There's probably a few... How far apart is Glen Scotia and Springbank? They're pretty close to each oh, other, I never looked down that... But this is an unscripted part of the show, Gordon. I just, I just, I just thought, 
along with Mr. Rankin and Cayman Distilleries in the early 1860s, looking at each other, mm-hmm. one will subsume the other. So it was just neighbourhood distilleries owned by different companies. And at the moment, the I bet you Glen Scotia is pretty close to Springbank. Yeah, no, absolutely. That could be the that could be the big one. Just looked up on the map. About um, that's probably a good drive in a three yeah. wood. Oof. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. far, not far. Oh, it's very interesting. Well, very interesting. Yeah, just, it's just a very you know interesting part of it. And I'm sure if you go back in history, there'll be more. But at the moment, which ones, which ones are? I just instantly- yeah. Anybody else? Drop us a line. Uh, <laughs> our email box is full, but we will uh, make sure we empty it. Uh, coming up in the show, we mentioned in Clydeside Distillery, we've got a film director. Mm, um, yes, Greg Schwartz. Yes, I'm looking forward to hearing from Greg. It's a great interview. I just had a little listen to uh, just Top and Tail, Mike Brown, who's been on before, joined us. On oh, the he's our roving reporter, Michael. He, he is. He has gone. So he I had is. a quick look at uh, not whiskey in movies, but movies about whiskey. And I just wondered, um, would you recommend a couple of these? Um, we'll talk shortly about The Water of Life. Greg Swartz uh, mm-hmm. directs it. Um, the Amber Light. I think you mentioned mm, The Amber Light, movies. yeah. Mr. Dave Broom. Yes. Um, Dave was heavily involved in this film. Know Dave very well. Uh, big fan of it. Seen it. Really good. Really good film. Uh, and just, uh, I think, you know, when Dave's one of those people when he starts talking about whiskey, you're just like, I'd just listen to you all day. Yeah. He, he's very, very good. It's definitely one to, definitely one to look out for. It for is sure. definitely one. It's a little bit of the sort of arts and literature comes together with whiskey. He's tries to. Yeah. No, really, really good. And just as a little side to that, uh, Gordon, do you know the very last scene, they're downstairs in a basement bar in Edinburgh mm-hmm. having a drink, and it's all the people I think it contributed to the the film, having a drink and talking about whiskey. Yeah. I did a, used to do a pub quiz in that bar years ago. It means absolutely nothing to this podcast or Dave Broom, but I used to do pub quizzes. I used to be the host. Did you? And that used to be the brought in the basement. Come up with some pub quiz questions. <laughs> oh, well, we'll do that. What was the top? What was you must remember one question that always got everybody in a pub quiz. Believe it or not, it's quite grisly for this uh, podcast. But I used to do quite a lot with serial killers. It was always quite interesting. About- what you mean? What do you mean you did quite a lot with serial? What does that mean? Did you go and kill with them or <laughs> the, the, the quiz questions? Like for example. Oh right, here we. I love serial killers. You know what was the um the first killer serial killer? He was just a killer. The first killer caught by the new invention of the telephone. Now this is just totally off my top. It's either telephone or telegram. So Jack the Ripper. He was no, never caught. Was never he? caught. No. And I, it's just you've asked me. This is about four, 30 years ago. So Doctor Crippen gets on a boat, and Doctor Crippen was a murderer in the in in, in the in Britain. And they sort of telegram to catch him at the other end of the when he gets off the boat. So have there have there been any killer sort of stories in the whiskey industry? Anybody who you know was suspiciously murdered in the distillery suddenly, you know, came to well, you know, whatever. Have you ever heard any stories like that in your research? Well, of course, even closer to we're drinking Glen Goyne at the moment. Glen Goyne yeah. had a distillery mm-hmm. manager called Cochrane Cartwright, who sadly passed away in the 28th of October, 1899. And there is suspicions of suicide, suspicions mm-hmm. he was drinking too much and fell down. But was he pushed? Whatever happens, he's found dead. 
he's said to be the ghost of Glenn Goyne. So it's about that you being a tabloid writer there, just yeah. trying to create a story. For, okay, fair enough. Good. That's right. That's right. But nice. that's exactly what the next part of the podcast is going to be about. Mm, so interesting. I'm, I'm going to hold that out there. So the other okay. movies, apart from the Amber Light, Scotch, The Golden Dram. Which I've not seen that. We featured on this podcast, believe it or not, series two or series three. We played a I've not seen it. it. Have you I not? don't think I've seen it. And I think Robbie's in it. Robbie Hughes. No, I'm definitely not going to see it. <laughs> and when I was a uh, um, doing this, the story of whiskey, Scotch, the story with David Heyman, more of a television. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, that was good. That, that was good. good. Yeah. A lot of people in that one. And you've mentioned them already, McAllen. I hadn't seen this before, and it's worth a look. It's called McAllen, the Spirit of 1926, the Janet Harbinson story. Mm. Janet Harbinson, or Nettie, as she was called, took over McAllen in mm -hmm. 1926 and ran it as a woman, which mm. in those days was unheard of. And mm. she really is revealed and re revered by McAllen as being one of the saviours of the whiskey. So it's an eight-minute movie mm -hmm. about her life starring um, Bill Patterson, who's... Big actor, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. music by Simple Minds, and it's like big stars in it. It's amazing. It's a really big Hollywood production. I'm looking forward to that. So that's very good. Um, good. But we're going to hear from the director of The Water of Life. It's a great interview. Hopefully you're going to enjoy this. But before we do, Gordon, mm -hmm. this is what um, you're talking about fiction, getting in the way of our facts. Mm -hmm. I, I, you watch a lot of movies? I, yeah. 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 You're obviously a, a man in the whiskey world that makes decisions. Do you think you can make a decision on some movie pitches? I've got two. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. So I'm going to put you and anybody listening in the seat of Netflix commissioner. Okay. I've done this before, believe it or not. In my radio past, I have to put pitches together and go in there. And I remember, memorably, it was a television pitch. And the guy says, that's really good. It's really good, Gordon. But the guys that write for Ant and Deck were in here an hour ago. And they had three times the amount of pitches and were twice as good. I thought, okay, bye. <laughs> Go for a pint. <laughs> anyway, so um, here's the pitch. What would make the best movie? I'm going to take you back. I'm going to do it two or three minutes in each one. I just mm -hmm. want a quick yeah or nay and why you think or how you think it could be made better or why it would be good. So here we go. I'm going to take you back to the early 19th century. The year is 19 or 1810. We're going to start the movie in Loch Lomond in Scotland. The Royal Navy press gang, this is a few years earlier, press gang, a chap called James Gilfillan, which means they grab him, kidnap him, and put him on a boat on the Royal Navy. For the next three or four years, James Gilfillan uh, is on board a Royal Navy vessel fighting the wars of Napoleon and the European, and much against his will. In 1809, He's moored just off of Portsmouth. His friends are saying, don't do it. Darkness falls. James jumps into water, swims ashore. He then walks 460 miles all the way from Portsmouth to Calerne to the little village behind Glengoyne in the Campsie Hills. He probably walked more than that because you cannot walk as the crow flies. This was a capital offence to go AWOL from the British Navy. You've been strung up, hung immediately. So why does he get turned in? How does he survive? One of the greatest, I think, evasion of all time. Greatest feats of evasion. I know what he does. When he gets to Scotland, he becomes a master distiller. In my film, he's sitting 
educating and helping the English farmers turn grain into spirit. And if they're already doing it, he's making it better. He's using his distilling skill to keep alive. He gets to Calern. The landowners, the justices of the peace, leave him alone. He makes great whiskey. Finally, a new excise officer arrives, tricks him into mm. turning up at the Balfron Sheriff Court in 1810. This is documented. He thinks it's for a minor infraction. No idea the excise are behind it. He's so in with the law, in with the bricks. But he walks into the courtroom, spies some Royal Navy people having coffee and tea and grog in the room. He takes the key out of one of the sheriff officers, locks the Royal uh, Navy people in, comes into the courtroom, and there he sees this excise officer. According to the a lot of sources, he grabs the window, sash, rips mm -hmm. it out. He's a strong mm -hmm. man. He's been in the Royal Navy. He then mm -hmm. wallops the excise officer, a name called Jose, over the head with it and jumps out the window to cheers from the gallery, and he's never seen again. Interestingly enough, a Moses Gill fill-in from the same area. Is it him? Is it his brother? A Moses Gill fill-in turns up in America, Massachusetts, and Moses' son, James, another James Gill fill-in, became Secretary of State in the American uh, presidential um, under the Hayes and Garfield. An amazing story of um, survival and using distillation to survive. What do you think, Gordon? Is it? It's not. A, it's not a comedy, is it? No. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you a view until I've heard the second one. Okay, but it's up there. I'm not getting shown the door yet, am I? No, no, no. You're still sitting in the seat with your feet dangling off the edge. Yeah, carry okay. on. Okay. Okay, that's the first pitch. Uh, here's my. What are you gonna call the film? Gil Fillin One. I like. I like that. See, you always say that to the person. I want to know what the next one in the franchise will be. So anyway, carry on. Okay. My final pitch before we go to Greg Swartz and hear about his film, The Water of Life, here is a movie pitch, Gordon. This deals with one of the most famous buccaneering whiskey showmen. I give you, I give you the greatest showman. I give you Tommy Dewar, the movie. Tommy Dewar, a Scotsman from Perth, arrives... Houston Station, 1887. He's hanging off the train, itching to get going. He lands on the platform. He's got a piece of paper in his hands. It's the only two contacts he knows in London. He's setting up office. He then goes round to the contacts. One's dead and the other's bankrupt. Gone. The paper's ripped up. He's on his own in London. His office landlord wants the money up front. He wants a month in advance. He doesn't think. This guy will be around for very much longer. So 1887, Tommy Dewar sets to work in London. He has a huge, wonderful personality, and it's not long before he starts getting the deals coming in. Not as much as maybe his great rival, James Buchanan of Black and White. So in 1892, he decides there's nothing else for it. He's going to get on a boat at Southampton and go round the world's. For the next two and a half years, he goes around 26 countries, signs up over 32 agents and had his order book filled. This was before the age of the jet plane. All those wonderful ocean liners, trains. And one year before that trip, Andrew Carnegie, the great American industrialist, born in Dunfermline, wrote to him saying, could you send some whiskey over? Dewar sends whiskey over to Andrew Carnegie, who becomes one of the biggest philanthropists in the world. It's meant for the president. It's a gift. 
Tommy Dewar goes to the White House and he's mm. around the world and talks to the president about his whiskies in your cellar. This man, truly amazing. In 1893, he gets a royal warrant. So we've got sort of Buckingham Palace in the movie as well. We've got Queen Victoria, who maybe will be amused when Tommy Dewar pops up there. His great friend, Tommy Lipton, he of the Key Empire, mm. they own horses, they raced in the Derby, they own yachts, they raced the America's Cup. They're very friendly with um, Bertie, Queen Victoria's eldest son, who will go on to become H H Henry VII. Tommy Dewar owns the second motor car in the, in, in, in the UK. Nice scene about this newfangled device mm. Tommy can drive. And of course, as they move office to near Waterloo Bridge, he erects Europe's biggest neon sign, a 68-foot 68 68-foot 68 high Scottish Highlander wearing a kilt, 10,000 neon bulbs with a moving arm that has a glass of whiskey in it. It is a wonder of the world. In London of Sherlock Holmes, fog, and this is an amazing piece of uh, architecture. Tommy himself was a great one for Jurisms. Keep advertising. Mm -hmm. And advertising will keep you. He was a genius of advertising, so much so that in 1898, he produces the world's first commercial. You've seen Apple, you've seen yep. Audi, you've seen Ikea. Every commercial ever been can trace mm -hmm. its back story to Tommy Dewar, the first commercial screened in a rooftop in New York to an amazing acclaim. Story of our ancestors, dancing Scotsman, Dewar's whiskey. So... There we go. 1904, by the way, did you know this? He takes out the longest residency at the Savoy. He's got a room from 1904 to 1930. Really? Sheriff of London, <laughs> yes. Jeez, and my sir. last little fact, bit of humour in there. We could throw a bit of romance on those ocean liners going across 26 countries. We could maybe do that. But uh, Harry Lauder, one of the great Scottish showmen uh, of his time, was a bit of a, 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 a meanie, didn't like spending money, asked Tommy Dewar for some pigeons, because Tommy had lots of pigeons. Harry Lauder took them back to Scotland, back to Edinburgh, put them in the, the pigeon loft. Next day, of course, they were back to London. They were homing pigeons. So, bit of humour. We'll try and get a bit of romance in there. The ultimate showman. Gordon, it's James Gilfillan. Um, I mean, daring do. It's Tommy Dewar, the greatest showman. Hugh Jackman. Starting. I mean, they're both good pitches. Uh, they're both very factual, heavy. But for me, there's more potential and more money to be made from Tommy Dewar. Ah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow you to do me a pilot for that one, okay. and uh, we'll have a, we'll have a, we'll have. But no, I think Tom, no, Tommy Dewar's story is absolutely brilliant. He really was a huge character, and you know, instrumental in setting up the Scotch whisky industry as it is. So huge, yet yeah, definitely Tommy Dewar for me. Well, that was just to whet our appetite for this brilliant interview from a really, really good film. And we've got a trailer from that film, from The Water of Life, and you'll hear voices of Jim McCune, Mark Rainey, Charles McLean, Joel Harris and Rachel Barry, Neil Ridley. Have a listen to this, Gordon. Take it away and take it away, Mike, afterwards. My mum used to say, did you go to school today? I said, yep. She said, come here. And she's smelling. I know. You've been in that damn distillery again. Bed, no dinner. Ancient, natural, old, pure. The blood of one small nation, absolutely. 
In the mid-1970s, Scotch whisky ceased to be fashionable when it became Dad's drink. Uh, there was just a massive bust. I've never once met anyone who goes, and there's no emotion behind it. If you do that, God, go and drink vodka. Even though I'm a scientist, it's actually much, much more of an art. Looking at your cladi, I said, someday I would love to make whiskey at this time. The place was falling apart. There was a sign. It sort of encompasses the whole whiskey industry at the time. Exclamation. And I can remember thinking, I've got to do something about it. I got a phone call from the chairman of Brooklady. I said, the answer is yes. He said, really? Very different people with different background and experience who all came together with the same goal of bringing this distillery back to life. The most unlikely partnership in the history of whiskey. It's, it's hysterical. Jim reveled in the freedom that he was given, sometimes a little too much. I could make virtually what I wanted. There's a Brook Laddie every week, wasn't there? There's probably too many. I said, why are you doing this? And he looked at me with his wild eyes and said, because we can, and because we're having fun. There aren't as many true mavericks anymore, learning quite literally from scratch. Mike and I had many battles. We detonated. Yeah, emotionally, it cost me a lot. But we did it. We touched the void. Oh my God. How far can we go, you know? I'm Mike Brown, roving reporter, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. Uh, critically acclaimed director and screenwriter, Greg Swartz. Greg, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Greg, most important question of the day, what are you drinking? I am drinking a 2005 vintage Bob Blair. It is a discontinued because they moved away from vintages, 10-year-old, and it's early, but... <laughs> it's in the glass. <laughs> Where are you uh, joining us from today, and what time is it over there? Uh, it's uh, 10 a.m. here. I'm on the east coast of the U.S. in Pennsylvania. Um, I live in Los Angeles, but I'm on holidays right now. So, Absolutely. As you can tell from the glass, you're on holiday, definitely, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have got here a wee smokehead. Um, we've actually nice. just launched this. It is our tequila cask. So it's been rested in a Anejo tequila cask between eight to 12 months. And I'm just going to pour myself a wee dram just now as well. It's not early where I am in Edinburgh. Um, so Greg, you are a filmmaker, screenwriter, whiskey drinker. Tell me, how did it all begin? Where does, where does Greg start <laughs> his filmmaking career? Well, my filmmaking career sort of, I think probably began when I was a, a tiny little kid. Um, I, I it, honestly, this sounds so cliche, but the truth is, the, my first movie I fell in love with was the original Star Wars. Oh, and amazing. I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to be a Jedi, and that wasn't <laughs> viable. So then I sort of looked at the filmmaking side of things. Um, <laughs> but I got away from that a bit I, when I went to university. I didn't go to film school. I actually was an English major, literature major, and journalism. And I became a journalist for a number of years. Uh, but but the the pull of the silver screen yanked me back, and I moved to California. And, enrolled in screenwriting school there so 
Which uh, Star Wars out of interest, or is it just too hard to pick? No, it was well. At, I mean, the thing that really for it was all of them in order, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. but but I my I think the best one is Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah, um, okay, absolutely, <laughs> fantastic. It was and, it had the coolest sets, the great plot, great lines. It, you know, it's kind of dark. Lando Calrissian made his first appearance. Oh, you know, was, what a character with the cape as well. Just completely yeah. necessary. Fantastic. <laughs> nice. I think the next interview I do, I might dress up as a Jedi for this then. Um, <laughs> in terms of um, whiskey then. So where did that begin? You've made an amazing movie, Water of Life. Um, features lots of kind of, I think infamous is probably the best way to um, to explain them. Uh, people <laughs> in the industry, um, you know, Jim McEwen. Mark Rainier, absolutely amazing characters. Um, but you are in Pennsylvania, or you're in, you in Hollywood. How do you end up in Scotland, and how do you end up making a movie about whiskey? Well, my my whiskey journey didn't begin in Pennsylvania or in California. It began okay. in Glasgow, Scotland. Nice. Um, I I was an exchange student in Glasgow for a year in college. Oh wow! And that was really where it began. I am the first time I ever really seriously drank whiskey was in the Bon Accord. Um, oh, amazing bar. And uh, one of the other students, one of the Scottish students, at the, I was at Glasgow Caledonia, and one of the students there took me there, and me and my friend, and he sort of built a flight for us of, of different whiskeys from different yeah. regions. And it was, that was the beginning of a, a long, slow slide into, <laughs> into <laughs> It's a whiskey. fun slide, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. It's... Oh, that's amazing. Fantastic. Uh, what was your first round? Do you remember? Well... No, I don't. I, well, <laughs> okay. The first, the first dram that I like really kind of, yeah. cause I'm sure I had some blends and stuff. I was a student, yep. you know, I, I'm sure I was drinking some really low end blends. You know, I, I used to drink a lot of bells um, uh, yep. because I'm, I, have, I have family. Well, I have family who were named bell. And so it was just a novelty to me, you know? And, uh, but my first, like I, I bought the first bottle of single malt I ever bought was a Glenlivet. Um, oh, nice. Amazing. I'm a 12 year old. And I was I was nineteen, so I could drink in Glasgow. But then when I came back to the states, I couldn't drink. But I brought that bottle back with me, and it was this sort of uh, you That's know, a trophy. A... I, I I did drink. Don't get me wrong; I just wasn't yeah. legally allowed. <laughs> it's such a juxtaposition because obviously in the UK, um, people start drinking obviously much much earlier. Um, that's interesting, isn't it? Do you think that people have different drinking habits in America as opposed to the UK? Well, I, I think it's worse uh, it, because it makes it by making it prohibitive, it makes it secret. And, you know, I, 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 yeah. I not just me, all of my friends and I were drinking as teenagers. Yeah. We had to be secretive about it. It's, it didn't stop us from drinking. It just made it harder. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Totally. And teenagers, teenagers are very good at getting around that. And the best way to get around <laughs> to it was getting I got on an airplane in New York City and I wasn't old enough to drink and I got off at Heathrow and I was. That's so, so surreal. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and so you're saying, so Glenlivet's World was like your first Eureka moment where you thought, this is really, really good. Yeah. I mean, for sure, yeah. that was the first single malt I ever had. Um, and that was, you know, at, at, at the time, this is in the 90s, there, there wasn't a huge amount of options. There was nowhere near what there were are now. Nowhere near. Not, I mean, 1% probably, you know. So, yeah. I mean, I remember drinking Glenfiddich, you know, the, but the ones that were just the easy ones to find, Glenmorangie. Of course. You know, but I, yeah. You know, I never did any deep dives back then, at least not that I that were driven by me. I remember being given my first Lafroig because it's so Lafroig is such a whiskey, which I love. It's, Don't yeah, wrong, it's an instant it's not, whether you, know, you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. OK, so you're a filmmaker or you're, you're kind of passionate about making filmmaking. You're in Glasgow, you're getting into whiskey. 
Um, how do you, where does the water of life begin in your, in your brain, in your mind? It's, it's funny. Um, 2017 was my, I, it was my 10th wedding anniversary. My wife had never been to Scotland. So we went for, for our 10th anniversary. And there's a thing in Dufton called the Speyside Whiskey Walk. It's a hike. And you hike from one distillery to another. And while we were on that hike, we were outside of Glenfiddich. And the roof was off the still house because they were lowering in new stills. It was a huge crane and lowering in all the pieces of the still. And I remember standing there watching that thinking, I want to tell the story of how whiskey's made. I want, and, and, and then the film morphed a bit. It's not a how-to. You know, you've yeah. seen the film. It's not about how to make it. There's not a chart in there about, you know, then you add this and you do. Yeah. But that was the original, you know, impetus was right then and there was like, this was, there's a really interesting story about the, the, the behind the scenes of this, not just because, you know, people know how wine is made because, well, it wasn't me who said this. Someone said, people don't make wine. God makes wine. <laughs> um, you know, they, you just let it sit and it does its own thing. But, you know, whiskey's heavily influenced by the, by the maker. Yeah, and so, you know, it's really that. It was 2017 outside of Glenfiddich. Amazing. That's really, really cool. And so you start then what, getting a, a group of your friends that are also filmmakers together. Um, and then you begin to try and tell the story. And I'm guessing it's sort of, it, it kind of organically unfurls itself and begins to start telling itself almost. Yeah, sort of. Um, our cinematographer is a good friend of mine and he's very into whiskey. I'm actually in his house as we speak. Nice. Um, and a few floors below me in his basement is his, his sort of personal whiskey body. And I approached him about this and I said, we, st we started looking for the, the people together. We knew yeah. we wanted to tell the story, but we wanted to find the people. And we were sort of researching, reading, watching YouTube, looking around. And I knew a lot about the whiskeys, but I didn't know a lot about the individuals yet. And that yeah. he and I kind of built a list of, I don't know, I'm making this up, 18 people that we liked. And then from there, we kind of winnowed that down and, yeah. you know. And tried to kind of tell their individual stories. And yeah, that's really, yeah. really mm -hmm. great. And so when it comes to, the beginnings of making a movie and you start kind of going into Isla um, and you start going to these other distilleries in Scotland. Um, how long does the process of actually making the movie take? Is it a quick process? Well, <laughs> the shooting is, is, is yep. well, I, although it was, what it was, was went to four little shoots. Well, one bigger one and three smaller ones, but um, we went to Scotland three times to do it. And then we also went to Australia, but you yep. know, at the end of the film, we, Spoiler alert, we, you know, we followed Jim McEwen to Australia to open a distillery there. So, um, and Amazing. I realized, you know, we had originally planned to go back to Isla to, to talk to him again. And he said, oh, I'm in Australia. And we realized, well, when you're in Los Angeles, it's about the same distance from Isla to LA, LA to <laughs> Brisbane. So, Fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's great. And then how long does it take to, to actually kind of do everything in post then? Is that, I'm guessing, it's a much, much longer process? Yeah, there's a huge amount of footage, a huge amount of footage. And yeah. so our whole team got together and we would take turns going through footage. And we had a sort of a ranking of uh, um, basically one, two, three ranking. If, if anyone wrote a three down, it was, it, I'm the director, so it had to come through me. So anyone who wrote a three down, that basically meant, Greg, you must look at this. This is going to be a really important moment. Two yeah. was maybe not important, but interesting or weird or different. And one is um, in a pinch, it might be worth it. You know, uh, so we had these huge lists, uh, 800 page word document. Wow. Um, and then one of our producers and I, he and I would sit together and sort of do what's called a paper edit. 
you know, and start going through this, the Word document and saying, oh, here he talks about this and she talks about this. And then we go to the footage and start doing it. And we kind of built and ripped it down and built and ripped it down and slowly. And it was probably about a year. About wow, a year that's post. such a long time. Um, yeah. And then were you kind of constantly in touch with the distilleries as well and about how the process was going? Or was it sort of like a, a kind of secret unfurling of this this magical thing you've put together? Probably more closer to, I mean, it, we would be in touch with them if we needed something from them. Yeah, um, of course. Uh, if we needed a photo of, they talk about some distiller who's been dead for 50 years, who used to work there, we would write to them and they'd send us a photo or, you know, um, in, in Brooklady's case, they actually gave us a hard drive full of archival photos and videos. And most, you know, yeah, some video. Yeah, m- mostly photos though, because they were old. Yeah, um, of course. That's great. You must but, have tried some nice whiskeys as well, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it, that was pretty a really amazing perk of the job was we yeah. got to drink some absolutely incredible. It's a tough job, isn't it? But uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of research involved, you know. And uh, and I, I was lucky in that I'm I'm the director, so I didn't have to ever drive, and I had to oh, operate no equipment. So um, <laughs> if the distiller was going to talk to me and he was going to drink or she was going to drink, they were going to give me a dram, and I was going to drink along with them. But I'm not the one operating, you know. a 2000 watt light or something you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah totally there's this great uh, moment in the film actually where jim McEwen, i think it's halfway through the film he looks like he's been talking for quite a long time and he just sort of looks down at i'm guessing it's you and says i think it's time for a wee whiskey and i think i can actually hear you in the background going yeah sure yeah. <laughs> i think i i said uh you i think you might be right That's yeah right. absolutely yeah, and... <laughs> it's great <laughs> it's sort of and that was not my idea film. Really? Yeah, that wasn't my idea. That was our editor's idea because we removed my voice from the film. You know, there's no narrator in the film. You hear yeah. them talking, not me. But our editor was like, let's leave that in. And we yeah. watched it and we were all like, yeah, that's kind of fun. You know, It's really um, good. It, it sets the tone because the thing about whiskey is it's supposed to be fun, right? You know, it, it's it's such an amazing craft and it's it's an incredible industry. And that's what you've sort of captured amazingly with, with the film. Um, but at the same time, it's also about, you know, getting friends together, like you say, and sitting around a table and, you know, having that special bot on playing cards and that sort of thing. Um, and I think you do, the story really, really tells you that, that sort of picture as well. Um, if you was to work in a distillery, what distillery would it be? And what job would you do in that distillery? I can do you one better. I did. Okay. Um, nice. <laughs> before we shot the film, the Glasgow distillery, we had reached out to them. We wanted to do some old, we tried to cut, get a cross section of distilleries, old, new, north, south, east, west, big, small, you know, it's just yeah. a huge variety. And we knew we wanted to feature a couple of new ones and Glasgow distillery was a new one. And not only did they say they'd love to participate, they invited me to go work there. Oh, amazing. So, so I worked there for one week. That's all I did one week, but I followed a mash from the first day we, we mashed in. And on the final day we filled 12 casks and we followed it all through the washbacks, first distillation, second distillation, everything. I, I even made gin, uh, in the afternoons because <laughs> you know um nice and uh i'm actually very proud to say uh, what i did after the film was done i bought one of the 12 casks that i made and now that has matured into whiskey so i actually own one of the casks that you i made made it yourself I- fantastic <laughs> <laughs> that's so great i mean i love working in in the studies because you get a real different picture of what the actual operation is like i mean it's there's one thing drinking whiskey, but there's another thing moving barrels and, and moving casks and and seeing the wash going in and the smells of a distillery. 
um, will stay with oh, you, yeah. I think, forever. And those memories that you associate with them, that's what you do when you go back to that glass and you, you drink that whiskey, um, which is why I, I love it. Um, what's your uh, what's your desert island whiskey? Black Art 4.1. Oh, the uh, four times distilled, I believe. Almost blew the no, roof. Uh, th- 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 no, that's the X4. I, I oh, actually okay. have a bottle of that. I have, an, I have a bottle of X4 plus 10, which is the 10-year-old aged X4. Wow. The Black Art 4.1 is the, is the black bottle. In, in the opening credits of the movie, you see whiskeys being poured. That's yeah. a 4.1. And I've actually, I've actually had that, uh, that bottle. We, our crew drank that bottle. Uh, but um, <laughs> it, was, it was, not only is it one of my favorite whiskeys I've ever tried, probably my favorite whiskey I've ever tried. It's also, it's, it's the one that Jim McEwen is most proud of. Yeah. And it forever is connected to the movie with me because we had that on set, you know, and it was the last black art he ever made. Oh wow! So that's um, a real um, memories attached yeah. to it, and that's fantastic. I I would I'd love to try and even smell that whiskey, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> no, every now and then you find drams of it in pubs and stuff. Yeah, available. I mean, they're, um, they're not cheap anymore because it's such a rare bird. But uh, I was just on Isla in June, and um, the Luchis in in, in Bomore, they had it on the menu, and I mean, it was I think it was like you know eighty pounds a dram, but uh, it was there. <laughs> Oh, nice. And there's other older, there's older black arts I've never had. So, yeah, you know, of I've... course. And now that the reins are off um, and you've got the different production that are involved in Brooklady, they're making their own version of it, I'm guessing, with their own recipes as well. Yeah, they're on version 10 out now and 11 will come out next month, I think. Nice. September is when they release the black art. So, yeah, so Jim made one through four. Yeah. And then Adam Hannett has made five through 10 and will soon be 11. And it's I've really... actually tasted the 11. Oh, amazing. It's really nice to have that within the movie itself. You sort of have this overriding arc of kind of old teachers passing on the kind of uh, to the mm. next generation, the torch, um, which I really love about it as well. And there must be some funny stories from the, the set, I'm guessing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, it was a, you know, it's funny because uh, Rikwadi, two distilleries in particular, I mean, every, every distillery was wonderful to us, but two yeah. of them went Two of them went so far above and beyond, and it was Springbank at Brooklady, where they were very sort of hands-off. They just said, you know, whatever you guys need. And they let us uh, fly our drone through the warehouse, which oh, wow. was kind of cool. Uh, but the, but the, <laughs> the second day at Brooklady, there was a cross-draft in the warehouse, in a palletized warehouse, and the drone, like, clipped the metal of it just enough. You know, drone <laughs> propellers are disposable. Like, they, they all yeah. they break all the time. They're meant to be, because other if they weren't, if they weren't disposable and super soft, they would be super deadly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so it, it the drone clipped the the pallet, snapped the prop off, so the drone just dropped, and Jim McEwen was walking underneath it at the time. It did not hit him. It didn't even get oh, like, come goodness. that close to hitting it. But it was like that was a pretty inauspicious beginning to think. If that was to um, actually hit him, I would imagine there would be like a limited edition release super cloudy about that drone hitting him or something like that <laughs> yeah they, yeah they would have called it like the drone or yeah they would have yeah like the yellow submarine kind of stuff absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic oh that's great um and so you've made the movie now um and it premiered i think it was premiered last year was it 2001 yeah yeah well, uh, well you know we we had to launch a movie into the pandemic which was not easy or um you know, we kind of did a lot of staggered release. We did some online events with with Jim and with other distillers, with David Stewart and Charles McLean, and that was yeah. really cool. Um, and then yeah. we, 
I don't know if you're familiar with PBS. It's a network here, the public broadcast system. Uh-huh. It's owned by the people, those stations own them. Um, we, we, that's the best documentary platform in the US. And they invited us to, to do a TV screening uh, series on there. So we, that was where, and that was, yeah, last year. Uh, and now we've actually made a 10 minute longer extended cut that is on our, you can, people can rent on our website because we, nice. PBS made us get the movie, but no 90 minutes because that's yeah. like the broadcast window. So we put that we made a version that's 10 minutes longer. That's available on our website. And, I will uh, have to look and that, that. that has a couple other distilleries back into it that aren't in the shorter cut. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. I will absolutely have to look into that. Um, so how is the, how was the reception for the film been in terms of, um, I suppose the States and also in Scotland as well. It's been amazing. It's been yeah. in the whiskey world, you know, it's absolutely just been phenomenal. Uh, yeah. You know, on one hand, on PBS, millions of people have seen it, and that's really cool. But on the other hand, thousands of thousands of whiskey people have seen it, and that is kind of even more rewarding. Directly, we, yeah. we did a screening at a. There's a whiskey festival in Vancouver, and we did a screening at the whiskey festival there. It's called the Hopscotch Festival. Nice. It's hops and scotch. It's it's a beer and whiskey festival. I see what they did there. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were at the Hopscotch Festival. They. They put us in a theater that held 700 people and it sold out. Amazing. And Brooklotti was participating in the whiskey festival and they gave everybody in the audience a dram of Octomore in a little, like, you know, a 25 mil bottle. Fantastic. And we told, we told the audience when to open the whiskey at that moment in the film. And in the back of the theater, you know, it's like super heavily peated whiskey. So in the back of the room, all of a sudden the entire theater was just yeah. smelled like campfire you know it's, it's like just, the it new amazing. 4dx experience except yeah, yeah. it's more <laughs> <Yeah>. instead <laughs> that's fantastic you should have fans on just blowing a, a cask of ppm going across <laughs> that's uh that's incredible um so it's been really well received so far um you know i i met you when uh we was both in glasgow um we was in the bath street spirit store um and i did a wee tasting for you there and there was a real buzz around the movie even um before you had arrived there was other people that had mentioned they'd seen the film they'd seen the premiere and that sort of thing and it's a great wee store as well a big shout out to the staff there um they really do care Absolutely. about whiskey um so you've done the film now what's what's next is there another film lined up that you're going to do have you got the bug for making whiskey movies oh yeah um yeah <laughs> i am i am in the process of making three other films right now um mm-hmm. different stages but what i will say the one that i believe you know you and i spoke about we had shot a whole huge raft of footage about independent bottling yeah and, and then we wound up using it's in the film but not we felt like not anywhere near enough of it's in the film because it's such a unique animal yeah um you know there's no equivalent in wine or food or beer or you know there's no other equivalent to independent bottling the, the closest thing i've ever come i've been looking for a metaphor for years the closest thing i've ever come is there's those um, aftermarket car tuners you know like um uh, alpina for bmw amg for mercedes yeah in the u.s there's saline and cobra you know but they're 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 like companies that work they're trusted partners you know and you can buy a saline ford here <laughs> Ford makes the car, then Celine takes it and makes it a Celine Ford, and then they charge a lot more for it. That's the difference yeah. here because independent bottlers are often a better value. Not, you know, if you do this with cars, it's going to double the price of the car. But back to the independent bottling. So, yes, totally. One day, one day the editor and I were working and we were just ch- ch- chatting while we were working uh, in the edit suite. And I said, you know, we have enough here to make an entire other film out of this. And, he, and then we sort of looked at each other and we we're like, what, why don't we? 
<laughs> so here we go again. We, we didn't have quite enough to make the film just as it was, but we yeah. had the impetus to do it. And and then there's one of our partners who I'm co-directing the independent bonding film with. He's based in, in, in Dallas Fields. Fantastic. So it, during the pandemic, I could do interviews in the U.S. and he could do them there. That's so great. we've now built up this archive of, of, of um, independent bottler interviews. Um, and so that film is already in post-production. Uh, the plan is going to be to premiere that film in May of next year. Amazing. Hopefully in, in Scotland. Um, oh, fantastic. Where is yet to be determined? Um, Maybe somewhere but, in a warehouse or something. In a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I want to do something creative like that, you know. Yeah, um, of course. I, I like the idea of doing it outside, projected against the wall. That's um, nice. And have this sort of, now, you know, the only knock on that is, you know, Scotland's not the most reliable place weather-wise. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's, <laughs> it's very reliable. Four seasons in one day. You get... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, are there any kind of independent whiskey clubs? Are there, are there whiskey clubs in the States that are just directed towards Scotch well, whiskey? Well, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society has chapters here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I'm a member there's, but they don't have members' rooms here. That what they do is they have uh, they have a term for it, like satellite bars or partner bars. Basically, of course, there's one there's one I can walk to in Los Angeles called the Tam O'Shanter, and um, it was Walt Disney's favorite restaurant. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> I love uh, that. <laughs> and they have a they have a huge whiskey selections, and we're actually doing an event with them in a couple of weeks where they they have a whiskey club, but they also they are the satellite bar for the Scotchman Whiskey Society. Yeah. And then they have 700 whiskeys on their own, and then they have a locked cabinet of SMWS whiskeys that you can only buy if you're a member. Fantastic. Um, and then once a month, they do their outturn tastings there and stuff as well. So there's a lot of those, not so much in Pennsylvania, because Pennsylvania has the worst liquor laws in the U.S., which is saying something. <laughs> I've heard that actually, yeah, no, I've done I've done a lot of selling of alcohol in, in my in my lifetime, um, you know, and a lot of people from Pennsylvania say, it's impossible to try and buy alcohol for some reason. And is it correct in thinking you have to buy it from the state or something like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, uh... And uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, when I was growing up here, the state, it, 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 it wasn't just state owned stores. It was like, it looked like you were going to like get your driver's license. Like it was state yeah. workers. They had shirts and ties on. They'd be behind a sort of plexiglass like you were uh, dealing with a government official. It was very strange. <laughs> In the last twenty years, they've kind of like made it look more friendly. Now they yeah. call them. They used to. They used to say uh, liquor and wine, and that was all the sign said outside. Now it says fine wine and good spirits. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's still a bit shady, uh, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is, and it's nice. all, it's funny because all around the borders of Pennsylvania, like New Jersey and Maryland, I've never looked on the Ohio side, but I assume it's there too. There are liquor stores all along the borders, <laughs> like, sort of. Um, Fantastic. So, but yeah, there's there's and you know there's also a big whiskey club all over the world now called Drammers. Yeah, and they have chapters all over the U.S. They started in the U.S. and now they have probably twelve chapters around different major cities in the U.S. And I know they also have one in Edinburgh. And they have ones in India and. Oh Japan wow! And yeah. Taiwan and Australia. Um, how is how is single malt Scotch perceived in America? Uh, well, it, I think it's it, the, the whiskey audience here is a bit bifurcated um, in that there's people who are just super into bourbon, sure, um, and then there's people who are into both. Yeah, I, you know, th there are certain people. I drink both, but I drink. Yeah. it's probably an eighty twenty split towards Scotch. Nice. Um, I mean, I have I have loads of friends who drink scotch, and and also there's a, there's a big Irish whiskey. There's a lot of Irish Americans, so there's a big Irish whiskey component here. Yeah. Although to be honest with you, the the Irish whiskey selection in the U.S. isn't great yet. It's getting mm -hmm. a lot better, but yeah, there's a lot better Irish whiskey in Ireland 
Whereas in Scotland, they're much better at global distribution. Ireland is mostly Jameson that's here, Bushmills and Jameson. You know, but yeah, now you imagine. start to see more and more. Nice. And uh, do you have the same in terms of independent bottlings from bourbon distilleries as well, I'm guessing? Well, yes, but nowhere near. It's not quite the same. And I do know that there's a couple of people out there right now who are, are kind of aiming to do just that. Yeah. Um, but there's actually a, a phenomenon here that's it, interesting that it, in a way it's very American. And I don't mean that as a good thing. <laughs> um, there, there, there's a couple of well it's just you know Americans are very good at industrializing things you know and um, <laughs> there's a there's a gigantic uh, company here that makes spirit for new startups you know how it's so many distilleries in Scotland will make gin until the whiskey ages of course you know yeah. or, yeah. or or they'll do you know um, in Ireland they do bonded bottlings where it's basically yeah. independent bottling type thing where they'll buy casks you know yeah here, if you want to start a distillery, and I can tell you some really well-known U.S. distilleries that have done this, uh, High West, Whistlepig, two, two newish distilleries, they yeah. buy whiskey, they buy spirit from this factory in Indiana, and they get new make spirit on day one. And then they start, and, and, and that company will also sell you um, aged spirit as well. So you can yeah. you could open your distillery, and within 30 days, you could be selling stuff. It's just not your own spirit yet, you know, and you have to, and then it, sometimes it's hard to make the connection when they make the transition, what if it's completely different? You know, uh, there's only yeah. so much you can control. It's huge. Yeah. You know, yeah it's just yeah. churn. It's just, well, they say that what's it, um, the, the Grant and Sons plant uh, in, um, is it Gervin? I think it's in Gervin. Yep. Yep. They, someone just told me that if, if every, I was just in Scotland right when yeah. I met you and this is very funny to me. I, I, I gotta be honest with you. I've not done any research into this statement, but, but a woman in <laughs> Gervin told me, if every whiskey warehouse on the planet disappeared today, instantly, except Gervin, the world would have whiskey for four years. Wow. That is an unbelievable amount of good juice. <laughs> I, I heard an interesting fact as well. I mean, um, in terms of the largest whiskey producing region in Scotland, uh, I certainly assumed Speyside, um, but it's not. It's the Lowland. And it's purely because oh, of the grain distilleries, yeah, um, which makes complete sense. But at the same time, you don't think that. But um, yeah, it's amazing. I don't think people realize quite how much whiskey there is in Scotland. <laughs> well, here, here's this is you asked me about interesting stories that happen on set. This is kind of interesting. We yep. we went to 18 distilleries while we were filming. And when we, we spent a day filming at Balvenie, and when we were on the, the, the Grant and Sons campus, we had to wear high-vis and we had to take a little safety video, watch a safety video class and yep. about exits out of the campus in emergencies and all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, the woman who was sort of our handler guide that day, I said to her, you know, I said, I don't mind doing this. No one minds doing it, but I'm curious why we have to do it here. And we haven't done this anywhere else. Yeah. And she said, we have so much alcohol aging on site that we are the safety equivalent of an air force base. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she said, we're held to a higher level of safety protocol because of the volume of, oh, of alcohol wow. on site. That really conjures up an amazing image of um, a military uh, whiskey production, which I think is yeah. his own <laughs> film, potentially. And so after the, the movie about the independent bottlers, do you think you're going to continue making more movies about whiskey? Are there more stories to be told? Or are you going to put the dram down for a little bit and make some other movies? The other two, I said I was working on three films. Okay, so the independent yeah. bottlers, we just spent a month in Germany. We're, we're, we're making a film about the history of beer in Bavaria. Amazing. Um, and then I just literally yesterday got back from shooting. We're making a film about grains and sovereignty, the ownership of grains and grain sovereignty with brewers, bakers, distillers, 
chefs, all these people that are sort of standing up to industrialized wow. grain and sort of doing their own things with it. And we were filming two days ago at, at a restaurant in New York called Blue Hill. It's one of the 12, I think it was the 12th best restaurant in the world. Wow. It's like a, you know, three Michelin star restaurant and, and they're doing some incredible things with grains in their own farm. And then I've also been recently to Ireland and Kentucky, um, doing kind of a networking and outreach and research for a film about American whiskey and a film about Irish whiskey. But that, that we haven't started shooting those yet. They, I've just traveled there and sort of met yeah. with people. That's amazing. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. Really, really appreciate it. Um, I know you you started early, but you're on holiday now, so that's okay. Um, quick, uh, <laughs> do you want to do a quick plug for where people can watch your movie and find them? Yeah, absolutely. If people go to, to watch.wateroflifefilm.com or if you just go to wateroflifefilm.com, there's a button on there that says watch. That will take you. It's available to rent or buy and Blu-ray, um, Amazon, Google, Apple, uh, and also on our own, like I said, through our site, people can stream the extended cut, which is 10 minutes longer. I can't and, wait to see uh, that. We'll, <laughs> and that's, we'll keep everyone updated on all of our stuff there as well. So. That's great. Thank you so much, Greg. Really, really appreciate you taking time. And uh, Slanja. Oh, Slanja. I saved a tiny bit. It, yeah, just, you know, really interesting to hear what he had to say. I'm just like, you know, re- I mean, I, 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 you know, we were talking about your pitches earlier. What would be, I mean, you look at what's been done on whiskey. It's been so much, and you know this, there's so much storytelling in this yeah. industry of ours. There's so much stories. And you think of all the people that are leaving the industry or unfortunately not with us anymore, extracting those stories, creating something that's fabulous would be great. And try to put it into one thread. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. That across be yeah. Mm-hmm. Be, but no, really, really good. Really interesting. Great. Gordon, we're... We'll, I'll catch up the next time. I'll keep yeah, some. We'll wrap that up. Uh, yep. Enjoy. Mature Glen Goyne. Beautiful. Excellent. Okay, folks. You're off to Aberdeen at the weekend. I'm off to the Granite City. Excellent. And I was, um, I was in London yesterday. So we've all been all over the place. But uh, have a good, have a good time up there. And ladies and gentlemen, we will see you for our next episode in a couple of weeks' time. Okay. Take it away. Take me down to the granite city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Oh, just cut that away, that bit out. <laughs> no, 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 keep it. It's very good. <laughs> right? Doing it this way since 1833. Staying ahead on the whiskey trail. Oh, stay ahead. On the whiskey trail